welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Last week was wonderful, celebrating the, the resurrection of Jesus together, and uh, we just had a wonderful time together. And as we were celebrating together, I just sensed the Holy Spirit would call us to uh, talk together about vineyard values. What makes a vineyard distinctive uh, from maybe different churches that you've been to or uh, maybe you have no church background whatsoever? What makes this place distinctive? What makes vineyard uh, distinctive? So we're going to spend four or so weeks talking about vineyard values and why we're doing that deserves a little bit of time as well. We're going to be talking about vineyard values because we are a transitional church. What do I mean by that? So there is like a core of people who like their DNA is like vineyard through and through, right? And then there's all these people in these days that are kind of on the margins and that are kind of like on the outside of things and wondering like what is this thing all about? And so we're going to do a little mini Vineyard Values series. And then also, um, we're going to do that because we're in a season of growth right now. Over the past, um, what is it, Jonathan, like four or six months, we've seen um, some growth here at the church. And so we want to honor what Jesus is doing and just provide a place where we can say, like, what makes our church Vineyard. What is it about the the, the way the way, way that we worship, or how we think here, or the, how we think about the kingdom, how we think about God, um, it, and lay that out? So, if you say, "Yeah, you know, like I've heard all of this before, and I've already been there, and I've already done that," well, then this specific message is just for you. So, <laughs> um, I hope that we all have something to learn and we all have places that we can grow into. Um, so, typically, like if you've been to um, a different church or you've got history in the Catholic church or perhaps you've got no um, history in the church whatsoever, this is your first time this morning walking into a church community, a community of believers, you'll typically hear like one of two things emphasized. Um, or perhaps exaggerated, one of those things, and I would say in Cleveland, as I've gotten to know the city of Cleveland, I would say this is the one that's probably emphasized the most, would be the character of Jesus. These are things like, how do I become a more loving person? How do I like not get angry? The character of Jesus, and that is really highlighted Uh, that message is really highlighted in church communities. The other message that you might hear is the gifts of the Spirit. Well, you've got to pray in tongues, or you've got to heal the sick, you've got to raise the dead, you've got to do all of these things, the things that Jesus did, um, in order to be a follower of his. And what we're saying at the vineyard is that we have to have both. It's not either or. We have to have both, We have to have both. We have to have both. It's proclamation and demonstration. We don't just want that. We have to have both. We have to have both the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Character and deed. It's not only like learning how to be like Jesus on the inside, but it's also demonstrating the things that Jesus did in the church here and in the city, both aspects. Some churches will just harp and harp and harp on the character of Jesus. You say, that's the only thing you need. If we could just become more loving people to one another, then we'd have it. That's bogus. You gotta have both. I wanna be a part of a community who does the things that Jesus did. And sees those things happen. And that's really important. We'll get into that in a second. But I wanted to read a a passage to you. This isn't the main passage for today, but um, it's pretty significant for this topic of everybody getting to play or equipping the saints. And it's in Matthew. And Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him. We read, and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. 
In verse 5, he says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach, proclamation, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near, is at hand. Some of your versions might read, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. So we see here that Jesus is saying, wherever you go, preach that the kingdom is near. Preach that the kingdom is near. How many have tried to do that? How many have found that super, super simple? Not one hand. Why? Because if you go out, if you went out in Jesus' day, and if you go out in our day, even more so today, I would, in my humble opinion, if you go out today and you say that the kingdom of God is near and the kingdom of God is at hand, people won't believe you. Did you know that? If you go out and you, and you preach that the kingdom of God is near, people will not believe you. People don't believe generally that God is near and that the kingdom of God is here. Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> Exaggerated. But it doesn't because people, why? Because people don't believe it. However, however, it's not just words, Jesus is saying. It's deeds. Meaning a preached message is not just words alone. Heal the sick, raise the dead. You know what? If you heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, and drive out demons, people will believe that the kingdom of God is near and the kingdom of God has come. If we become a community of followers of Jesus who heal the sick, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, drive out demons, people will believe that the kingdom of God has come near to us. That passage haunts me for good reason. It's so, basically, everybody gets to play this vineyard value of everybody gets to play is about equipping the people of God to do the ministry of Jesus. Everybody gets to play. It's about discipleship. Disciples, making disciples. This is the way that it's always been in the church. You won't get another message from me other than the kingdom of God through the making of disciples. Because church is a place, community is a place where we encounter God's presence with his people. Church is a place where we receive, and church is a place where we give. How many here have heard of a guy named Polycarp? One, two, seven, ten, maybe. It's a very learned community. For those of you who don't know who Polycarp was, Polycarp was... Uh, church father, and he was discipled by a man who was also amazing, but we won't talk about him today. I'll let you do your research on that one. He was discipled by a guy who was discipled by John, the disciple, the apostle, the beloved disciple. And John was discipled by Jesus. You see? Disciples making disciples. What happens at the end of Polycarp's life is that the authorities have had enough of Jesus' message, and they end him. And so what do they do? They burn him at the stake. Polycarp is martyred. He's murdered at the stake. He's burned alive. And as Polycarp's flesh is burning, do you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And people who were there outside sources say that there is the aroma of baking bread as he was burning alive on the stake. Isn't that interesting that Polycarp said the same thing that Jesus said when Jesus was dying on the cross? Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who then make other disciples. It's about equipping. What we're doing here this morning, your lives from Monday through Friday, are about making disciples. If you claim Jesus as Lord, it's about making disciples. I learned how to preach in Chicago. My pastor, Rand, he's been here before and spoke with us. 
has he been here twice? Maybe just once. Anyway, I had never preached before, and, you know, I thought when I opened my mouth, like 10,000 people would come to Christ. I mean, what else would you expect when you go to preach? Like, that's what's going to happen. Of course God wants me to have a church of 5,000. I'm the most gifted communicator of all time. Uh, Not so. That's not the way it works at all. That's not the way it works. And so Rand, you know, gave me the pulpit, and I spoke for the first time in Chicago. And, you know, we, we used to rent out this middle school auditorium in the middle of Hyde Park on the south side of Chicago. And I probably, you know, spoke to, you know, 75, 100 people and inflicted them with the worst sermon that was ever preached on the planet. I know I joke about going long here and talking for a while and keeping you guys away from Applebee's after the service, but I literally probably spoke for like an hour and 45 minutes. I mean, I just kept on going on and on and on. And you know what happened? I got off the stage and Rand patted me on the back and he said, you did a great job. You want to do it again? The first time I led worship, I was newly in the church. I was like 20, 21 years old. And Sarah and I were part of this community in Columbus of about 900 young adults. And so I was new to faith. I was new to Jesus. I was so passionate about Jesus, and I was so passionate about music. And I found the Lord converging those two things to bring my gifts to the surface, which is what he does. And so somehow, I managed to be thrown in front of 900 young adults, people my age, peers, on a Sunday night to lead worship for the first time. And what did I do? The first song, I was just, I was so excited, I was rocking. And the first song, I strummed my guitar, and the the low E string, the thickest one, goes bang and pops out of the guitar. And, you know, being the mature disciple of Jesus that I was... When that happened, I, you know what I did? I was like, well, I'm just going to worship Jesus. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. And I just turned around like that, you know, because I was making a statement. How do you guys feel right now? You guys okay? You guys know? Right? Just completely unaware. It was the worst thing ever. It was probably the worst worship set ever. Not led by anybody. The worship leader had his back turned to the entire congregation. And you know what happened? I got off the stage, and our pastor, Eric, came alongside of me, and my friends came alongside of me, and they said, you did a great job, man. You just did so wonderful. When are you going to do it again? You see, because discipleship in the kingdom is, is process-oriented. It's process-oriented. That's the thing with the kingdom, is that Jesus took the kingdom out of the hands of the experts, and he put it in the hands of beginners. And that's good news for somebody like me. That's really good news. Everyone here this morning has gifts. If you claim Jesus this morning, God's placed something on your life to serve the greater good to be a part of change, to be a part of transformation in someone else's journey. Everyone here is special. This isn't the message of like everyone gets a trophy in culture, but everyone here is special and created wonderfully in the eyes of God. And there is a process called discipleship that Jesus wants you to step into or apprenticeship of Jesus, the master to where he takes these gifts that you carry, that he's placed in you, and raises them to the surface. And church is a great place for idiots who don't know anything about their gift to get up on stage and fail, and somebody to come alongside and say, you did a great job, when are you going to do it again? That's discipleship. It's the best. Everyone has gifts, yes, but we don't know how to use it for other people's maximum benefit. You know, when I came to Jesus, I loved playing music. 
but I wasn't like the most gifted worship leader of all time, and still not. I had so many things to learn, but I knew that I wanted to serve the Lord playing music and leading worship. I wanted to do that. But I didn't know how to use it for other people's maximum benefit until we become equipped. We won't know how to administer the gift that we carry correctly. We can put it this way. Some of you guys know my friend. My friend Keith played the guitar this morning. How many here know that Keith and Karen own a plumbing business? And that Keith, yeah, most everybody. <laughs> you're, you're known. This is a good thing. Keith is a plumber. So Keith, so a f- about a month ago, our bathtub started leaking. And it started leaking down into the laundry room. And Sarah and I were like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Through the drywall. So who do we call? We call, Ke- we call Keith. We call our friend Keith. He's a plumber. He knows how to do it. You know, and they came over. Keith is familiar with all sorts of tools. Keith is familiar. I had to look these up. <laughs> Keith is familiar with drain augers or snakes, rib joint pliers, hose cutters, basin wrenches, channel locks. Yes? Am I on? Okay. And you know what? Keith can probably do a, like 87 things with each one of those tools, like a thousand things. I cannot do any of those things with any of those tools. Maybe like one thing. Maybe I could snake a drain, right, with, from like Giant Eagle if I like went and like got a snake to like <laughs> clear out. I could do, okay, that shows you that I could do nothing with any of these tools. So Keith can do a ton of stuff with these tools, but I don't know how to use any of them. Right? It would be like if a month ago this happened to our bathtub and Keith or one of the guys that he employs drives over in their truck, all the tools, the drain augers, the rib joint pliers, the hose cutters, the basin wrenches and channel locks with the truck, shows up, and gets all of those tools out of the car, leaves them in the driveway, and says, have fun, we'll see you guys later. Would, right? But, if Keith taught me how to use those tools, I'm sure I could be a pretty good plumber. Because I'm one who already knows how to use them. That's the thing with discipleship and using our gifts is that we need people to come alongside of us and help us learn how to use the gifts that God's already placed in us. And the church is the place for that. Church is also the place where we learn how to love and forgive one another. How how many of you are aware that some of you have hurt me pretty bad over the past four years? (laughs) Okay. And we've had to learn how to forgive one another. Because the church is not like Facebook land. You can't just defriend people in the church. Why do you think the church is so jacked up? And, and I've hurt some of you people. I've, dis- I've disappointed you. I've not met your expectations, Perhaps, why does this happen? Not because, like, we don't like each other, but because, like, communica- like, communication, there's misfires and all that stuff happens. And if, if I haven't hurt you in some way, stay, stick around. I'm sure it'll happen at one point or another. But church is a place where we learn how to love and forgive one another. And the church is jacked up. Why? Because I think, like, God knows. God knows. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit that we have to learn to work it out. Work it out. Work it out. That's what discipleship is is about. Working it out. Because I'm going to see you guys for like 
the next 30 years. And we're going to need to learn to work it out. You can't, this isn't Facebook. This is real life. You can't defriend the, how are you going to defriend the church? Unfriend, or whatever kind of, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm not on it anymore. I unfriended Facebook. I chose discipleship instead. Yeah, the church is the place where we learn to love and to forgive one another. It's also about a community of experience coming alongside of one another to bring each other's gifts to the surface in order to serve. You know, there are new songs that we're singing that are coming from the heart of Vineyard Cleveland. And that doesn't happen. It doesn't just, like, happen. These people meet together. They write songs. They take critique. Some people are writing songs, and they've never written songs before. And then we sing them on Sunday morning. How amazing is that? That person might have, like, tried to bang out that song for, like, five years alone in their room. But instead, because they're around a community of experience who can speak into their gift, we all we all benefit from that, and we get to sing those wonderful songs, our songs, on Sunday morning. It's such a cool thing, isn't it? When a community of experience comes alongside you to help you bring your gift to the surface. It's so good to serve. Yeah, we find our gift's expression in the context of community only. Say more about that in a second, too. Okay, so we're going to read from Ephesians 4 today, if you wanted to turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, you're welcome to have one. They're on either side of the stage. You can pick one up whenever. It's our gift to you. They're free. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, and there are three main uh, passages that revolve around this thing of spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4. Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. In these three passages, they're a little bit different, but there are similar themes. And the consistent themes in these three passages are this image of the church as the body of Christ and love. Those are the consistent themes throughout those three passages. The church is a body. Why does Paul talk about the church being a body? Well, I'm sure you're familiar with, like, messages maybe like, you know, each part is essential, which is true. This is true. How can the finger say to the foot, you don't matter, and vice versa? The church is a body, meaning you are essential. You're gifted. You're unique. If you're not doing, in other words, if you're not doing what you're called to do, someone else isn't receiving You see, it's not like a middle ground. I understand like seasons of like rest or like Sabbath, right? But if you're consistently not using the gift that God has placed within you to use, someone else isn't receiving. If the life of God is coming to you and you're not using that to serve other folks, If we take the image of the body of Christ one step further, you, in the most loving and gentle way, you have become a blood clot in the leg of Jesus. Let's read Ephesians 4, 3. Read this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Verse 4. There's one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Check out, we'll come back, but check out verse 15. How many bodies first? One. Okay? Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Who's the head of the, bo- the one body? Jesus is the head of the body. 
and I don't know about you, but I'm of the opinion that the form that the, the head should, the form and function of the head should fit the form and function of the body. And when you or I or anyone in the body does not use their gifts, or we perceive the gifts in the wrong way, in the incorrect way, what we end up getting is like this Frankenstein body, Jesus creature. Rather than something awesome, we get a monster. We want the body to be connected to the head in a way that's beautiful because the head is beautiful. Jesus, Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is the master of life. Jesus is wonderful. And Jesus wants the body to fit the head in form and function. Does that make sense? You tracking? So how does the church equip to be, uh, how, how does the church equip to be like Jesus? This is a tough one, because sometimes we experience everything in the church but Jesus. <laughs> so my encouragement for you today, for us today, is to hope again. As Sarah was speaking over us during communion, do you have, can you hope again this morning? That, that God did place a seed inside of you. God did place a gift within you. And that gift is to be used for the benefit of other people people like you are gifted you are unique you have something in you to share verse 7 check it but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it to each one of us each one of us each one of us who gets grace each one, everyone, everyone gets grace, even the jerks. <laughs> even the jerkiest dude in the vineyard gets grace. Even the most idiotic, annoying person in, in the vineyard gets grace. That's who gets it. Okay, everyone gets it. What do we get? Verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Pastors, apostles, prophets. What is Jesus' gift? What, what is it? It's people. It's people. Jesus' gift is people. Pastors are people. I'm not a floating head telling you what's right and wrong. Evangelists, teachers, prophets, all people. Christ's gift to the church is people. So why hasn't the church been equipped? Why hasn't the church been equipped? Because we've excluded some of our most valuable parts. That's why. And we create a theology around that to exclude people. Well, prophets are weird. And so, because prophets are weird, God isn't speaking today. Do you see how this works? And whole movements have been created around this just to exclude or to keep weird people out. We won't do that here at the Vineyard. We create theology to exclude people's gifts. The result is that there's an exclusion of apostles leading the church. Instead, we put pastors to lead the church. When you say, well, I thought pastors were, aren't you one? The difference between pastors and apostles, um, there is a difference. So pastors care for people, and pastor, it doesn't mean that apostles don't. And pastors create community. Pastors are just like, dude, let's hug it out. Do you know anybody like this, Jonathan? Let's just hug this out. I want people to feel safe here. 
Does that remind you of anybody, buddy? <laughs> Pastors want to create a safe place for people. Yeah, let's work this out. We've only been talking for like two hours together. We can talk for it. We can work it out tonight. There's four more hours until midnight. Let's talk this out, right? That's who pastors are. Pastors care for and create community. They care about safety and inclusion. They make people feel safe. The problem is, is that Jesus' mission wasn't too safe. His mission was like, go and raise the dead. Go and baptize and heal the sick. Apostles take new territory. Apostles are pioneers. Apostles hold out the kingdom of God, the mission of God, and hold up the theology and, of, of Jesus and offer hope, impart courage to say yes. You know, you know you've been around an, an apostle when you leave from that time with them and you have a resounding yes to Jesus in your heart. My job, so the, the job of, of the apostle is to encourage you to say yes to the mission of Jesus, to the impossible things of Jesus. And it's not to say that pastors don't do that. Apostles just do that. That's just who they are. Prophets, who are they? They're the weird, they're the weirdest people sometimes. No, no, prophets are normal, everyday people, just like you and me, and they hear from God. Are they special in that regard? No, no spiritual merit badges. I just say that prophets, like, they hear from God maybe, like, more consistently or, or like, every day, like, hearing from God, a whole bunch of stuff, always hearing from God. They can hear God regularly. Why else hasn't the church been equipped? We've excluded some of our most valuable parts. We've also misunderstood the purpose of the function of those parts. What is the purpose? Verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. To equip the people to do the ministry of Jesus. And this is where we get it jacked up in the church in America. Because in the church in America, we believe thoroughly that it's the pastor's job to do it all. But it's not. It's just not in here. What is the pastor's number one job? The pastor's number one job is to equip the people to do the ministry of Jesus, to hold the mission of the kingdom out, to impart courage, as we said, to give hope, to pioneer, to take new territory. The prophet's job is not to hear God for themselves. The prophet's job is to teach the people how to hear God for themselves. The teacher's job is not to teach. The teacher's job is to teach other people how to open their mouths and teach. You see how this works? An evangelist's job is not to win the lost. It's to teach other people how to win the lost in their neighborhood and their community. That's how the gifts work. But in America... We assume and put faith and trust in the structure of the institution of the church instead of the mission and the gift that people carry. What we fail to see is that the structure of the institution of the church is too rigid. It's too unflexible. Because people, maybe against my... Better judgment. But people are not too rigid. People are flexible. People are not straight lines. People are all over the place. And so the institution of the church, the building, is too inflexible. The mission of Jesus, discipleship, is fluid, it's process oriented, it's growing, it's on the move because you're on the move. 
People are on the move. You're here, you're there, you're everywhere, you're going to your job, you're parenting kids, you're in a home group, you're, you're out in the city. People are here, there, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, people ask me to do stuff all the time, and I say, nope, I'm not doing it. But my friend, you don't understand. He's dying. He's on his deathbed. He needs a pastor to come pray for him. You go pray for him. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to eat dinner with my kids. That's what I'm going to do. But, Pastor, these people are struggling, and the church takes a benevolence fund. Why can't we just give them that money? Could it be that God placed you in their lives to give them money? We're not giving them that money. You give them money. God put people in your life. He didn't put them in my life. But it could be a great outreach opportunity. Maybe they could start coming to your church. And people think I'm mean, and I'm like... No, I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm going to go home, eat dinner with my family, and then I might go fishing. I'm going to go fly fishing. How about that? Does that sound good to you? God put people in your life because God put people in your life. And the purpose is for you to make disciples, not for me to make disciples out of your friends. It doesn't make any sense. That's not discipleship. God put the gift within you. Not within me. It's not my job to pray for all of the sick in Cleveland. I love the sick in Cleveland. They're awesome. But I can't pray for every single one of them. Who do you think I am? (laughs) The sick in Cleveland are great. But I'm not going to pray for all the sick in Cleveland. Sweet. I didn't see many, like, surprised eyes there. That's great. That means you guys are, like, on board with vision. And you're picking this stuff up. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, okay. Verse 13. Until we reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When is the church equipped? When she becomes mature and effective. Have we obtained the full measure of Christ? No. Have we arrived? No. This is why we need equipped, because we we have not arrived. No one in this room has arrived yet. That's why we need equipped. So how do we embrace an equipping culture? How do, we, how do we embrace an equipping culture for all of us, for our church, our voice as Vineyard Cleveland? How do we embrace that? Well, first it comes through recognizing and honoring all five gifts. All five. And these are not mutually exclusive or describing super Christians either, you know? The truth is, is that this room is filled with all five. This room is filled with pastors, with apostles, with teachers, evangelists, and prophets. This room is just packed to the gills with all five. And every person is all five. Why is that? Because you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, Jesus was the perfect evangelist. Jesus was the perfect teacher. Jesus was the perfect prophet. Jesus was the perfect apostle. Jesus was all five, all the time, every time. And if you are in Christ, you are in him. In him is all five. But because of your personality, because of the decisions that you make, because of your different choices, you may just naturally um, exude one or like two of these gifts. But everyone here is all five. Wimber used to call them like butterfly giftings. 
You know this? And this sort of like curbed this notion of like super Christians and spiritual gifts as merit badges. That you're special because you display one of these gifts. And what Wimber meant was that some, you might not have like the gift of healing. Have you been around people who are like, they're like, you're like, hey, can you like teach this class or can you like lead this thing? And they're like, no, I cannot teach. I only have the gift of healing. And so I'll only operate in that. You laugh, but it's true. We're awesome like that. People are awesome like that. And so what Wimber is saying when he says they're like butterfly gifts is that you might not have like the gift of healing, right? And be this like super healing person. But there might be times in your life where God just like lands on you like a butterfly and says, hey, I want you to pray for these people. My, hand, my hands are on fire right now. What does that mean? Well, could it be that the person next to you needs you to pray for their back or whatever? So how do we embrace an equipping culture? We need to recognize, first we need to recognize that we are one. We are one. You are one. You do hear God. You can teach. One way we do this is by letting go of our addiction to celebrity. We are hooked on celebrity, aren't we? In America, we love it. We love to be entertained. It's like our favorite thing. A celebrity culture will work against and destroy an equipping culture. People, it's, it's embedded in the church as well. And people, it's okay. There'll probably be like 45 more minutes. You can go whenever you want. Um... So it's embedded in the church culture where we think it's actually our purpose to become famous. Like that's what it would mean to live a life of significance. If people actually knew who I am, then I'd be living my full potential. People take it the other way and think that the pastor wants to be famous. And so it's our job as a church to get that guy famous because the more influence that he has and the more famous he gets, then the bigger our church will go and the the mission of Jesus will get out. Let me tell you that the purpose of your life is not to be famous. It's to be faithful to Jesus. Faithfulness and obedience to Jesus is the point of life. It's not to be famous. As pastors rise like an influence, you'll see this like all the time. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Let me just say. They become increasingly disconnected from their church, becoming less effective in equipping, which is the only calling that they've been given in the first place. But it's not just a temptation for pastors, it's a temptation for the church as well. Notoriety comes, and the point is to sit back and watch as entertainment instead of engage. Because we like to be entertained. So the church, the people, plays a role in this as well on the flip side of it. And so the more church grows, I'm not against church growth. It's lovely that we're in a season of growth. But the more it grows, the more notoriety that the pastor gets. The other side of the coin is that the church engages less. Because there's less to do now that there are more people here. Hence the Pareto rule, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Notoriety comes, and the point is to sit back and watch as entertainment instead of engage. The church loves it because the more famous the pastor gets, the less the church has to do. Less they have to learn and employ to be entertained. And the next thing you know... I'm working for you. Have you been around a pastor who just like doesn't seem real? It's like, dude, how much hairspray can you like put in your hair? (laughs) The reason that they don't seem real is because they're an actor playing a part. 
They're kind of weird. They're like, man, that was the best sermon that I've ever heard preach. And then you get around them and you're like, why do I feel so weird right now? Like almost kind of icky. Like what's going on here? They're like not real. There's no like grounding in authenticity. Like you can't, you can't touch them, you know? Or they're unseen. It's like, you know, the platform is like six feet high. The bell rings. It's like three o'clock at school and poof, they're out. Why? Well, with a little notoriety, more hairspray, <laughs> obviously. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that. Um, why is that? Well, they become an actor and because the church demands it, honestly. And entertainment culture kills equipping culture. We need to be willing to receive. This comes from a heart that says, I don't know it all. I don't know it all. You don't know it all. We don't know it all. And that takes humility. We need to be willing to receive. That takes a listening ear, even though we know one another. To embrace an equipping culture, you need to be willing to learn from the person sitting next to you, not just from Bill Johnson or Heidi Baker. But that podcast was amazing. Did you hear what he was? I mean, I love Bill Johnson and Heidi Baker. Don't get me wrong. They're, I'm a fan. But can, can you learn from the person sitting next to you even though you know all of their faults and all of their flaws? Older people, can you learn from younger people in your community, not just from the attractive evangelist who just yells at you all night until somebody comes forward, had to, sorry. But can you, older people, can you learn from younger people in this community? Younger people, can you learn from older people recognizing that they've walked with Jesus for like 40 years and may know a thing or two about what it takes to walk through suffering? This is what it means to, this is what it means. Discipleship is to learn local. Discipleship is local. Can you learn from the person sitting next to you? Can you learn from the guy you already know? Also, we need to let people be who they are. Let people be who they are. That's tough because we're always trying to change people like we already know what they specifically need and we don't have a clue. Psychologists do this all the time in projecting what they think is best for the people. Just read a book on this. Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules of Life. How we project onto people. We're always trying to change them because we think we know what they need, but we don't even know what we need. And that's why we need other people. We also need to be willing to train, and that takes humility. It takes humility because you used to be annoying. Did you know that? Oh, you weren't always as cool as you are today. You're, you weren't. You were so annoying to people. <laughs> weren't you? <laughs> it's good, right? It's really good to hear that. You weren't always as cool as you are today. But you know... The cool thing about the kingdom is that people's annoyingness doesn't exclude them. It's the willingness in you to train them. Because you weren't always as cool as you are today. Someone took the time to come alongside of you and to train you. And that takes humility. Why does it take humility? Well, if you've ever tried to teach somebody something that you already know, you'll know that that takes a lot of humility. Because what it'll do is you'll realize all this stuff you don't know about the thing that you're trying to teach somebody else. And what happens then is that then we gain a deeper understanding for the thing that we carry because we don't know it all. Because then you're like, man, I thought I had it all figured out on this thing. And then when I went to go teach this other person how to do the thing, it didn't go so well. And so then you go back to Jesus and you're like, what do I, do? What do I not know? Tell me what I, that's a great prayer. Jesus, tell me what I don't know. Oh, 
know, if we would pray that more, I'm, I'm sure we would see more disciples equipped for the kingdom. Jesus, tell me what I don't know so I can train other people in what they don't know. Yeah, you, you were annoying as all get out. I was too. I'm someone else's annoying person right now. It's super hard to believe, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, we need to be willing to train other people because you can only receive so much. Receiving's great, but you can only receive so much until you have to give it away. 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 If you keep on receiving, 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 and you don't give it away, you stop receiving at some point. You will stop receiving at one point, but it won't be because you're giving it away. It'll be because there's this paralysis that sets in in the kingdom. If you're not giving, you keep on receiving, 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 receiving without giving. You'll just sit in your chair. And there you'll sit. And the Lord will still speak to you because he's so kind like that. But he'll begin to speak in other places with other people who are willing to say yes and give it away. The expert spirit comes from a place of too much receiving and not enough giving. That's where the that's where the pharisaical spirit comes from. Too much receiving, not enough giving. The whole thing is reproducible. We're going to close today. Um, yeah, even if you're young in the Lord, that's the, other, that's the last thing. Even if you're young in the Lord, if you just came to faith or you feel like you don't have it all figured out, man, what a perfect place to be to start giving it away. That's who the kingdom lands on. Those people who know that they don't have it all figured out and they've got tons to learn. Those who are beginners. So start giving it away. Because we, we need you. The body needs you. We don't want to be a Frankenstein Jesus creature with all kind of like stuck on parts and like, you know, Bill Johnson super muscle arms. We're Vineyard Cleveland. We're not Bethel Redding. And God is writing a story through us here. And he's inviting everyone into that. And he's holding out the kingdom before us. And the kingdom is still near. The kingdom is still at hand. Close enough to touch, to taste, to see, to feel, to smell. The kingdom is here. And Jesus is waiting to invite your gift, you, as he's designed you to be, into that for the benefit of other people. That's discipleship.